0: so good to have you here today. As you heard earlier, we are ending uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting, if you're a guest today. For the last 21 days, we've been um, reading from a devotional that our staff wrote. Uh, Every day we have a scripture reading, and we've been praying, and we've had uh, Sunday evening services where we've been taking communion and praying and Asking God to do the things that he wants to do. And so uh, this is a, a great season. It's been a, how many of you in the last 21 days you would say, God has touched your life in some powerful way? How many of you lift your hand and say, it's been a good, it's been a good season. Why well, there? How are you? <laughs> it's been a good season, hasn't it? Uh, but um, I don't think this is the, I don't think this is the end. I think it's the beginning. Would you agree with that? How many of you agree with that? I don't think it's the end, I think it's the beginning. And so I'm, I'm glad that you're here today, and uh, I'm glad that we're concluding this time together and starting something new. So uh, our ushers are gonna pass you in just a minute. They have a uh, info guide. If you didn't get one on your way in, would you just wave at one of our ushers as they pass you? They're gonna hand you an info guide. We'll uh, highlight some uh, thoughts from it in a, in a few minutes. Um, every, uh, come, come on guys, go ahead. Uh, is they pass you, just wave at them if you need one. Everybody I know, and I think it's a, a universal deal, is fascinated with power. Like I think everybody, you know, has some fascination with power. Last year at our beach retreat, I went up in the guys, the high school guys dorm room. And uh, when I was in the guys room, um, I noticed that uh, this guy had these two 50, uh, 25 pound barbells. And it just dawned on me, how would something like that get there? And I said, hey, did you pack these in your suitcase? He said, yeah, you know, yeah, that's right. And I thought, wow, you drug around 50 pounds of metal in your suitcase to the beach street. I would think you'd tear a hole in the bottom or so. How did that happen? And what was interesting is there's almost no time a day or night you could go into the guy's dorm room and one of them would be moving those weights around. And the reason they do that is because they want to look powerful, right? They're going to the beach. I mean, you know, it's a big deal. They want to look powerful. I think it's human nature to be sort of attracted to power. Maybe you remember, uh, how many of you remember the movie Back to the Future? Remember this movie Back to the Future? How many of you are not going to raise your hand no matter what I say? All right, gotcha. All right. Uh, You remember the movie Back to the Future. In this movie, there's this one scene where you can see Michael J. Fox, you know, really wants power. Go ahead and, and play this clip. Maybe you'll remember it. All right, so, so you remember that scene, right? There, there's this longing we have for power. We like, we like fireworks. We like fast cars. We like longer cell phone battery power. Yes, because we want it to last longer. Well, the book of Acts in the New Testament is all about power. And what I want to do this morning for the next few minutes is I want to talk to you about when the Holy Spirit came to earth And he filled the first church and the powerful changes that happened. Now, I think so many times we're so focused on the power that I think we sometimes forget the purpose of that power. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about when the Holy Spirit gave his power to the church, but I want to talk mostly about the purpose behind it. So, in other words, what is it for? Believing in the power of the Holy Spirit... But not understanding the purpose is kind of like believing in electricity, but never having it installed in your house. It just, it just doesn't do any good. So this month we've been talking in this series called Recommit. We said the first Sunday, would you recommit to God's presence and to prayer this year? Then we said, would you recommit to the spiritual gifts that God has put inside you that he wants to use to touch other people? Last week we said, will you recommit to God's people? And so many of you uh, signed up last week to join a life group. Awesome. We had a huge response, and I was so encouraged by that. Today I I just want to say, will you recommit to God's mission? So the purpose of God's power is God's mission, and we'll look at that. So what I want to do in the next few minutes is I just want to explain in the simplest terms that I know how, and the easiest way I know how, to, to show you what happened in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, what happened when the Holy Spirit's power came to the church, but more importantly, why? Why was that important? Why was that necessary? What was the purpose from God's point of view? So we're going to look at the last few minutes of Jesus' life, And we're going to look at the first few days of the first church that ever existed on earth. This is the genesis of the church. And inside it, we understand the incredible work of renewal that God wants to do, not only in our church, but also in your life. So Acts chapter 1, if you have a Bible, turn to Acts 1. We're going to be in Acts 1 and 2 for a while, so just follow me there. After his suffering, speaking of Jesus... He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So this is after the resurrection. Jesus came back from the dead and he said, hey, it's really me and I'm really here. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. So in the last few weeks of Jesus' life, he kept saying something to his disciples that absolutely bewildered them. He would tell them, look, I'm leaving. Like, I died, I came back from the dead, I'm here in this resurrection body walking around, but I'm leaving permanently. But someone else is coming to take my place. And when he gets here... What he's going to do is going to be much greater than what I've ever done. Now, that's a big statement because Jesus, you know, healed blind people. Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. He multiplied a little boy's lunch and made it feed 5,000 people. But he said when he gets here, he's going to do greater things than I've ever done. You won't believe what he's going to do. He's going to actually live inside you. I've lived beside you. He's going to live inside you. He's going to guide you. He's going to give you power to witness for me. He's going to give you spiritual gifts. He'll convict you of sin when you do something wrong, and and he'll convince you that you've been forgiven. It's going to be an incredible relationship, and he'll protect you and sustain you every day. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, 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 don't be sad. Be glad I'm leaving. If you think the last few years have been good, it's about to get better. So in Acts 1-6, he says this, or they responded. So they gathered around and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, now, that's a loaded question that you can't understand just by reading a little backdrop. Why would their question, why would he have given them this great news? Hey, I'm leaving, but somebody you know, they're going to do greater things than me that's coming, and all of this. And why would, he, why would they say, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom? Here's what they meant. Israel, the nation of most of the disciples, uh, is under um, occupation of Rome, a foreign nation. They have to pay taxes to Rome. There's Roman soldiers on every street corner. And uh, the laws of Rome are dominating the land. And the Jews absolutely hated it. They hated it. It was frustrating to them. They wanted to crawl out from under the oppression as, as quickly as they could. So when Jesus said, hey, the Holy Spirit's coming, they reflexively said, hey, if God's going to give us power, then I hope we can use that power to do something about the local politics. We want to collect our own taxes, we want Rome off our back, and we want to run our own government. And do you know what Jesus thought about that? you know how that sounded to him? I would imagine it sounded to him about like it sounds to him when we pray something like, hey, Lord, use your power to help me win the lottery. Lord, use your power to uh, uh, help my dream date say yes. Lord, use your power to help me you know, win the line on the college football game or, or to get a promotion over the deadbeat guy that works next to me in my office. I imagine it sounded something like that to him. Jesus must have been disappointed that the first thing his followers wanted to do who had followed him for three years, day and night, the first thing they wanted to do with his power is to work on local politics. But now Jesus didn't condemn them. Acts 1.8, he readjusts their vision. He says, but you will receive power. Guys, when the Holy Spirit gets here, You're going to receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He wants to take their focus off local politics, and he wants to put it on global transformation. The vision of God is not to fix local politics. It is to transform the entire planet. It's to change the whole world. So Jesus says, please understand when I say this to you. The best use of God's power is to give it to every believer on earth and then send that believer out as a witness to the life-changing grace of God. So what Jesus is saying to them, hey guys, lift your eyes up off of local politics and put your eyes on the greatest vision on earth. And this can really happen if you understand The purpose of the Holy Spirit's power. So why does he give power? Well, in Acts 2, we'll just keep walking through Acts. Acts 2, 1, he he explains what happens when the power arrived. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house with a... Can you imagine this? They're sitting in this room. They're praying just the way that you and I have been praying for 21 days. They're just together in this room praying, and all of a sudden, this incredible wind, like you're standing on the seashore or the ocean, this violent wind comes blowing through the room. (laughs) Okay, that's not different. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine looking across this room this morning in hats blowing off people's head, hair going sideways, we would go, what happened? Well, that's what happened. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. That's very important, on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, when the Holy Spirit came and filled those believers, He immediately revealed at least two things. I want to focus more on the purpose of His power than His power. He immediately revealed two things. Here they are. Number one, God's power is for everyone. When those tongues of fire separated and rested on each person... That power did not rest on the old season saints or the younger people or the new generation or on men or on women or on children or on pastors or on ordained or those who had been educated or those who had been trained. That power rested on everybody. That power is for everybody. It's for everybody in this room, every color, every race. It, each gender it's for everybody and and that's what that's what he was communicating hey hey guys this power's not to transform local politics it's not to work out those things and it is for everybody here's the second thing god's power was given to change the whole world they came out of this room when the holy spirit when the wind blew and the holy spirit blew through that room and poured his power out on each person Many of them came out of that room speaking a completely different language. Uh, Nearly 15, I think, if you count them. And so what was God trying to say with that miracle? It wasn't just about the pizzazz of that miracle. It wasn't just about, hey, that's crazy. It wasn't about that. What was he trying to say? He was saying this vision that God has, the purpose for this power, is not just for Jerusalem. It's not just for Jews. It's not just for now. It is for every city and every country of the world. It is for the whole planet. So you may say, hey, why does Kingwood Church take so many mission strips? Why are we always talking about you know going going to another country and doing missions work and why have we made a long-term partnership in Honduras with a church there with a school and, and dental and medical clinic and an orphanage and a men's st- Why have we made that partnership? Why this summer will we send a team into Peru to the edge of civilization to help construct some uh, rooms for a church who is a sending agency for training pastors and new believers and sending them in the jungle where we couldn't even go? Why would we do that? Because the of God's power was to change the whole world he wasn't just trying to change your house or your neighborhood or your city he wants to change the whole world near the end of the book of acts uh, acts chapter 2 we see a clear picture of why God gives his power God has this vision of what it would look like when his people use his power for his purpose. He's got this vision, and you can see it in Acts 2. God's vision is to change the whole world, but he never intended to do it by taking one of us and saying, okay, now you go that way. Here's another one. Okay, now you go that way. He never intended to do it by sending us out by ourselves. God actually has this vision that he would be sending whole groups of people that he, they later understood were called churches. Now, how's that supposed to work? Look in Acts 2, 42. So the power of the Holy Spirit has come. God's purposes are being energized by the power of God. And what does that produce in the first church that's ever existed? Here it is. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's a key word in that verse that I want you to hear that we're going to talk about the rest of the morning. It is a powerful word. It is a life-changing word. It is a word that the power of God both produced and responds to. It is the word devoted. Devoted. Without high levels of devotion, a church, that group of people that God sends into the whole world, is powerless and helpless and hopeless. We've all seen it. I know you've seen it, I've seen it. You drive around somewhere in a neighborhood and you see a church, you see a church that was once vibrant, that was once alive, that was once filled with God's purpose and there's a for sale sign in the yard, the church has died, it's closed and they're selling the property off because it's over now. Why does does this happen? Does this happen because the Bible's no longer true? Does this happen because the Holy Spirit gave up on those people? Why does it happen? It happens because those people lack devotion to God and His church. The people have given up on God, God has not given up on them, so those churches get sick and begin to die. The church that I was reached in, I was a a broken-down, empty, lost teenager, and some other teenagers invited me to come to church with them, and I did. And my life was radically changed in this little church inside Memphis, Tennessee. And I would go there Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and men's breakfast on Saturday, and I just wanted to be there and be around God's people, because my life was changing. I walked those hallways and I saw children's lives change. I saw friends' lives. I saw young adults. I saw people's lives changed by the grace and power of God. But that church closed. It doesn't exist anymore. That pastor has gone on to heaven and the next pastor that followed him quit and it folded in and when you go, the doors have been ripped off the building and the pews are destroyed and you you might risk your life to go inside. And every time I go home to my mom and dad's house, I pass that little building and my soul aches because I say, I wonder how many other kids there are in these neighborhoods that were like me and there is no church here to reach them because the people quit. Their devotion died. They weren't devoted to God and they weren't devoted to his church. Do you know every year in America, 4,000 churches close? 4,000. And it breaks my heart every time I go out of town or I go down a road I haven't been down before and I see a church with a for sale sign in the yard. It absolutely breaks my heart because I say, why did that church die? Did it die because God wanted it to die? Was that God's plan from the beginning that that church would die? No, it died for one reason. The people lost their devotion to God and to the church and, and it got sick until it eventually just died. So, to just say it straight, churches that are filled with half-hearted, low-devotion, low-passion people can't even make a dent in their community, let alone the whole world. People who lack devotion won't serve with their gifts, They won't encourage people that are broken. They won't share their faith with people who need to hear the message. They won't give their resources. Let's face it, without high levels of devotion, the church is dead in the water. Its vision is noise and its potential zero. But, but, and here's what I want you to see today, this is the thing that God sent His Spirit for. This was the purpose by which He sent it. If, When a church is filled with the Holy Spirit and God's power is flowing through those people who are devoted to God's purposes, the church is unstoppable. It is the greatest force on earth for good and for change. And its future is bright when the people are devoted. So I brought a little chart this morning just to maybe help you think about it. Where would you say if you had to measure yourself, where are you at on this um, timeline, this chart here, of devotion to God in this church? Would you say, well, you know, if I had to be honest, and you don't have to say it out loud, I I really would be over here in the, you know, I'm busy. Life's so busy. I'm over here in the low devotion part of this situation or or maybe i'm in the middle or somewhere in between those two or or maybe you say today i'm i'm in a place in my life that i have a high devotion to god and to his church well the rest of acts chapter two gives us a picture of what a high devotion church looks like so acts chapter two Shows us in 242 through the rest of the chapter. If you read it, you can see there were a few things that those early believers were devoted to that changed the world. It not only changed the world, it changed their life. So they were devoted to teaching and prayer and fellowship. When they gathered, when that church gathered together to worship and to pray and teaching happened... They they couldn't imagine missing that meeting. It was a top priority in all those believers' lives. So so to look look back at this again, let's ask the question. How high is your devotion level to the weekly gathering of your church? Would you say it's low? Would you say it's in the middle? Would, Would you say it's high? Because here's what a high devotion Christian looks like. A high devotion Christian says, I I am very devoted to the weekly gathering of the body of Christ where worship and ministry and prayer and teaching are going to happen. And so, what I do is I put that on my calendar and I organize my life around it. I don't organize my life around, you know, recreation or sports or travel or other options. I am centered in and devoted to the things that the first church was devoted to. Uh, Another thing they were devoted to is they were devoted to each other. In fact, it actually says that they met in homes every day. Now, I can already hear in your mind the screams and shouts of, are you kidding me? You don't know how busy I am. I didn't say that was the legalistic formula that we all got to follow or are not devoted to God. It's not what I'm saying. I'm only saying whatever the frequency was, it reveals a principle that is much more important than did they miss a day or not. The principle was they were devoted to each other. They had a phenomenal, and that will look different at different times, in different cultures, and different places on earth. It will flow within the movement of that culture. In their time, that's what it looked like. They spent time with each other. and You know what they would do when they were together? They would talk about the things that God was doing in their life and the things that God was doing in their city and the things that God was doing in their community of faith. That's what they would talk about when they were together. Do you ever feel the pull of the Holy Spirit to have spiritual fellowship with other believers? Do you ever feel, do you ever feel that, that gap, that something's missing, that I, I'm, I'm not intended to just do this out here by myself? I'm not supposed to be this great hero that goes it alone? But, but there's supposed to be this, we've got this vertical relationship with God. I'm supposed to have this horizontal relationship that is equally as meaningful and deep and, and spurs my spiritual life on. They were devoted to each other. I was so encouraged as I mentioned to you how many of you, I think over 130, as of last Sunday of you, went out yesterday, uh, last Sunday and signed up for a life group. Yes, good. That's the beginning Of where that spiritual fellowship can occur that we all need. But but where would you you say if you said my devotion to God's people is what? Would it be be low? Would it be in the middle? Would it be be somewhere in between? And then the other thing that Acts tells us they were devoted to. They were devoted with their resources. So, So where would you say... On the timeline, you are in your resources. Do you have a low devotion to God? Do you have a mid devotion to God or high? L- let's talk about that for a minute. It, uh, here, here's what a, um, a low devotion person to God and the resources looks like. Until we just finished 2016. Most of us received income the entire year of 2016. If you are a low devotion to God person, In your resources. Here's what your year probably looked like. You probably spent. At least as much as you made. Or a little bit more. You probably increased your debt. A little bit. You probably didn't save much for the future. If anything at all. And you probably. Did not honor God. With your tithe. And put him first. High devotion Christians live just the opposite of that. They view their income as part of the providence and blessing of God on their life. And they're good stewards, and most of all, they put God first in their finances by bringing the first 10% of what they have and giving it to God. Now, this year, I've encouraged you uh, this entire month and said, would you take the tithing challenge? And so in your bulletin, it, or in your uh, info guide, if you've got that, would you just hold it up for a second and let me know that you, you have it? On the, there you go. On the bottom, there's a little tear-off. And I'm just going to encourage you one more time. If you are a low-devotion person in your resources, I would encourage you to do several things in 2017. I would encourage you to get out of debt. I would encourage you to spend less than you make. I would encourage you to save a little for the future, and I would encourage you to put God first in your finances and bring him the first 10% of what you have and watch how God makes everything else work. And so if you haven't taken that challenge yet, I want to encourage you today to do it. All you have to do, you can do it on our app, do it on our website, you can tear the thing off there, and at the end of service, you can drop it off at the Welcome Center. Uh, Our church needs more devotion in this area. We, we need about a 10% increase in income because what we've cut out of our budget too often is outreach. And so, let me, let me tell you how simple this is. If everybody at Kingwood who already gives would give 1% more, we'd have double what we needed. It's that simple. We need a little more devotion in that area, even though our church is well above the national average in giving. We have a larger percentage of people who tithe in our church than the average church. I'm very grateful for that. But we need to go a little more in order to do the outreach uh, that, that we need to do now. How did you may think, this devotion affect the world? They were devoted to teaching and fellowship and prayer. They were devoted to God's people. They were devoted in their resources to God's mission. So what do you think happened? How, how did that affect the devotion that they had? How did it affect the power of God flowing through them? Verse 47 tells us, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Can you, can, you, can you emotionally connect with that? Can, can, you, can you imagine it or picture it? God's power was at work In such a way that people came to faith in Christ every day. Not on Sunday. Not just Monday. Not Wednesday night when there was a service or something. Or a small group. Every day, seven days a week. 365 days a year. God's power was unfettered and unhindered and the purpose of his power had now become clear that his vision was to change the world. And when people lived in high devotion to him, it allowed all the hindrances to God's power to be removed and it just flowed. Oh God, let me live one season of my life and see that kind of move and outpouring where people are coming to faith in Jesus every day. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? People are being forgiven. They're finding Christ. The depression is moving away. The darkness is moving away. The guilt and shame and condemnation is being wiped away from entire groups of people. Can you believe what we're reading? Who wouldn't want to be part of that? I want to be part of that. But it all comes back to one little word in verse 42. Devotion. So I can remember um, when I was a youth pastor in Florida, we had this guy in our group, and our group was real small. We had just started. It was about 25 or 30 people. And I was trying to make a worship team so we could have a worship service. And I was trying to get people who could play instruments and... The church wasn't uh, just over, overflowing with musical talent. And so I was just taking whatever we could get. And we had this one guy in the youth group that played the drums. He's the only one that I knew that played the drums. Uh, and so I was trying to talk to him, hey, you know, we're going to practice. And can you help us make a worship team and all this? And I can remember what he said to me. He, he, was, a, he was a real low devotion guy. I can remember saying, well, I'm not sure I can be there every week. You know, uh, sometimes I can be there and sometimes I can't. I said, well, well, how come? Is there something we can work out? And, and he sarcastically said to me on the phone, uh, you know, I might want to stay home and do my laundry or something. So I'm not sure I could be there. And, you know, maybe being young and passionate, I said to him, I said, you know what? I want you to come to the church tomorrow, and I want you to pick up your drums, and I don't want you to ever play here again until something in your heart changes. Because and it was a painful decision because he's the only drummer I knew. And I don't know if you ever just did teenage worship with a high-back piano. Not exciting. That's all we had. And I said, I want you to come get him. Somebody had taught him that God's power and God's purposes weren't worth his devotion. Somebody had taught him that. So we can't and it was hard for a while. But you know what? God ended up blessing us, and we ended up having a fabulous worship team that actually became part of the adult worship team that actually traveled and led worship in multiple venues, and most of it was led by teenagers. It was incredible blessing, and their devotion level was off the chart. Reminded me of another teenager I knew. Actually, his parents go to this church and still do. Uh, I wasn't at this church at this time, back in the '90s. '96, actually. Because the Olympics came to Atlanta. And uh, Taylor had made a commitment to play the bass at our summer uh, beach camp for teenagers. It's an incredible week where I, I would say over this amount of time now, uh, tw- over 20 years, thousands of teenagers' lives have been changed, and adults. And he committed to be months in advance to be part of that team to play the bass. However, he didn't know an opportunity was going to come his way. In the meantime, somebody from the Olympic Committee in Atlanta asked him, would you be one of the runners that carries the Olympic torch? We're going to run it, you know, however far they run, all over the place. We're going to run it from Atlanta to Birmingham, and would you be one of the runners to run one of the legs to carry the torch? Can you imagine how few people on earth have ever had that honor? And you know what he said? I'm so sorry, I can't do it. Because I've committed to play the bass at our summer youth camp. Because somebody taught him that God's power and God's purposes are worth high devotion. Now let me just ask you a question on this continuum. Where do you think it is that God's going to look when he decides to do incredible, life-changing, supernatural, powerful things, where do you think he's going to look for people to use? Do you think he's going to look over here on this low devotion end, uh, swimming around in this pool? Or do you think he's going to look over here and say, how, how, how's my power going to be used? Where do you think he's going to draw that from? So this morning, what do you do? What do you do if you're not high in devotion? Well, I'm going to give you two things, and and we're going to to wrap up. I think it takes a death. It's just something simple. (laughs) A death and a declaration. First, let's talk about the death. John 12, 24 says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is saying, in order for you to be fruitful, other distractions have to die. So if your desire for fame somehow competes for God's fame, then that has to die. Or if your desire for pleasure competes with God being first place in your life, that has to die. If your desire for independence and self-reliance gets in the way of being totally devoted to God, then that's got to die. If your desire for money or material things, if your desire for a a cushy, safe life gets in the way of total devotion to God, it's got to die. And sometimes that death isn't always pretty. Sometimes it's dramatic, and sometimes things that have had their claws in you for years don't just give up. You have to say, by God's grace, no more. There's something more in my life. Look, after 25 years of pastoring, I can tell you what I've observed. Sometimes people will be Pulled to low devotion or even no devotion by something nasty, by something ugly, by something evil, by some dark, decrepit sin. But I can tell you after 25 years of pastoring, that is not the way most people are drugged to low devotion. Most people are drugged to low devotion through good things, things that on the outside, in and of themselves, are not evil. They are not evil and they are not bad, but they are distractions and they pull us away from God's purpose. They pull us away from God and they pull us away from his church. Luke 9, 23 says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So see, this isn't a decision that we make once for all and it's done and we never have to make it again. Actually, this verse says to us, it's a decision you have to make again and again and again and again. And this verse teaches us that uh, actually it might even need to be made daily. Daily I take my cross up. Daily I recommit. Daily I have devotion. Daily I raise my face to God and say, God, you are the one. You are the answer. You are the beginning and the end. Does anybody here today have anything in your life that needs to die? You know what it is. I don't know what it is. I'll probably never know what it is. But is there something in your life That in and of itself is not bad. It may be very good. But it is a distraction from your devotion to God. It's a distraction from your devotion to Him and to His church. So there's the death part. Let's talk about the declaration part for a minute. I think in the society that we live in with with the crazy you know, busyness and pressure and the fast pace, I think it's not unusual for all of us to have good intentions. I think most of us have very good intentions. But we have a very difficult time living them out because the busyness of life, like white water, just chops away at it. You walk out that door and 60 seconds past it, we're on to something else. And so I I think it takes a declaration. You need some some fight song. You need some statement. You need some scripture. You need something to bring you back to center, to remind you, to to remind all of us what our life is about. So when we see our devotion starting to sag, we, we need something to stir us and to help us make tough decisions when we aren't sure what the priority ought to be. On and off for... 15 years or more of my life there was this quote by Jim Elliot that still stirs my soul when I read it today. It drove me it kept me anchored, it kept me focused it kept me centered. Jim Elliot was a missionary in Ecuador who was killed by the people in the jungle uh, because he was coming to bring the gospel in 1956 and Jim Elliot said this he is no fool who gives what he cannot gain what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose that that quote for some reason stirs my soul and reminds me that every sacrifice every every re-up every every recommit every new new devotion to God is worth it because I'm Letting go of things I can't keep for eternity anyway. But I'm grabbing on to things that I cannot lose. No one can take them. They're safe in eternity. For nearly 10 years, there's a section in Philippians that drove me. And this is one of the verses out of probably 5 or 6, Philippians 3, 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Whoo! That's in there. <laughs> that stirs me. It makes me say there are things in life that are so good They're so good. They're good, they're good opportunities and they're all around. But compared to knowing Christ, they are garbage. Compared to knowing him, they are nothing. And there has to come this fight song, there has to come this thing that revs you up. Maybe you put it on your, when I want a new habit, I put it on my Google calendar and a notification pops up every morning. What if you did something like that or a screensaver? Every time you turn your computer on, it would say, hey, compared to knowing Christ, all these other things are garbage. What if something just popped up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's, what I, that's my intention. That's what I really want my life to be about. I don't want to fall back over here. You know, after you walk with God for so many years, there comes this pull, this gravitational pull on you. Are you still going to pay the price? Is it still worth it? Have you done your time? And man, I want to have a statement that rallies me that says, no, I don't want to slide back. Cause you know what I've never found on this end? I've never found joy. I've never found fulfillment. I've never found satisfaction. I've never found the supernatural. I've never found that people's lives are changed over here. I've never found it, but over here, over here, oh man, it's where the supernatural power of God is at work, maybe at least every week, maybe even every day, that's where it is. So we, we need to close, but I, would you stand with me? And, and uh, our worship team's coming up. I want to ask you three questions and, and leave, leave that graphic there. I want to ask you three questions and we're going to close, okay? Here it is. I, look, I, I, know, I know I've, know i man, I've prayed hard and long and I know I've come strong today. I know I've come very strong. I'm, I'm not, not in condemnation, not in, not in anything like that. I know I've come strong, but I want to, I want to, I want to, connect this now for all of us to see here's the three questions do you have a father in God who has a low devotion to you in other words if you were to grade God's devotion the father if you were to grade his devotion to you would you grade him low or middle or high where would you grade God you and I worship a God who is totally and completely devoted to us. He's never failed. He's never missed a day. He's never forgot. He's totally devoted. What, what, here's the second. What about Jesus? Is our Savior in some way, He left the comfort of heaven and He came to earth. Is our Savior in some way, does He have low devotion to us? When he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, God, I don't want to do this. Please take it away from me. And he said, there's no other way. Okay, I'll sacrifice and I'll do it. Do we have a Jesus who is low devoted to us? You follow a Savior who has given everything. What, what about the Holy Spirit? Do we have a Holy Spirit that has a low devotion to us? He says, I will live inside you. I will be there. When you forget, I'll be there. When you remember, I'll be there. When you ask me, I'll be there. When you don't ask me, I'll be there. I'll live in you. I'll guide you. I'll help you. I'll love you. I'll, I'll counsel you. I'll be there every minute of every day. I'll give you power. I'll give you grace. I'll apply forgiveness to your life. I will be there in every moment. Does the Holy Spirit have a low devotion or a high one? What does he have? He has a high devotion. So maybe today there's some stuff that needs to die. So with every eye closed and nobody looking around, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask, Father, is there some stuff that needs to die in my life today? And if it is, I just want you to give it to him. Right now, I want you to give it to him. Let the Holy Spirit work on you. Are there some things that need to die? Do I need a fight song? Do I need a declaration? Does my devotion need to go up? So our worship team is coming now. We're going to sing this song. And as we sing it together, we're just going to sing half of it. I want you to rally in your heart. And I want you to let the Holy Spirit just work on you. And then we'll dismiss. And I'll, I'll give you a few instructions as we go. Go ahead.